grad scientists and where to find them. Seriously misunderstood creatures. You know, I'm something of a scientist myself. Hello, 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 and welcome to uh, yet another episode of Grad Scientists and Where to Find Them, uh, the podcast that talks about research students with research students, but it's not just for research students, uh, it's about it's for everybody. So uh, if you're listening to that right now, share it with your family, subscribe on Spotify, on iTunes, share it with everybody. Uh, I'm very bad with social media, so if you can do it, If you can share it on social media for me, it will be extremely easy uh, to get millions of uh, views and, or not views, what? <laughs> millions of listeners and of the lame intro. Uh, as per usual, I am waiting, I am welcoming two wonderful and incredibly talented guests. Uh, first, I have Yu Feng. Feng, welcome. Hi, Mal. How are you doing? Um, not bad. <laughs> what, are you, are you, why are you looking at your voice and the, I'll, I'll hide the recording I'm from you. I'm sort of worried about the volume is too low. You don't worry. Uh, so can you tell us a bit more about yourself? So, hi everybody, my name is Yufang. Um, right, Yufang, this is a Chinese version. And I can do English version, Yufang. Um, I'm PhD 3 student uh, from School of uh, Communication Sciences Disorder, Faculty of Medicine. Um, so, Mel and I actually from the same department. Oh no, you're from MNI. neuroscience, but I yeah. work in your department. It's yeah, kind yeah. of complicated. Yeah, we <laughs> have lunch every every day. <laughs> sort of starting to get tired of Mel. All right, everybody. great. No, all right. So now we move on to Melissa. Melissa, okay. uh, hello. Um, hi. Can you um, tell us a bit more about yourself? Sure. Uh, I'm Melissa. I'm first year PhD student in the Guild from Brazil. I've also been to China. It was so fun. Um, so yeah, I've been all over the world, apparently. <laughs> that's cool. uh, yeah, yeah, and I love traveling. I would love to travel even more. And yeah, yeah that's why I'm here, actually. Um, to so to travel even to more. Travel. Yeah. Nice. Well, you're gonna have to settle for a while if you're doing a PhD. Yeah, though. five years. <laughs> But you know, conferences happen. So. That's true. Yeah. 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 So you you pick the right the right career. Mm -hmm. Well, it's great because uh, in this episode, later on, we'll talk about the international student experience. So I have two, I have the two perfect guests uh, for that, even though I think pretty much every other of my guests were also international students. But yeah. that, that's, that doesn't matter. Uh, we're all international. It's fine. <laughs> Canada. <Hey. laughs> exactly. So um, maybe it's time to start sharing about our research. Does anybody want to start talking about their passion, about what they're doing right now? Yeah, if you want to start. Yeah, I can start. Right. So I think my project is easier. Like, it's simpler. not. <laughs> oh my god, it's not. <laughs> Stop saying that. You're, you're, uh, it's not good to say physics people are you know, all complicated. It's we a are, very bad Can stigma. you delete it? <laughs> I'll delete it, don't worry. I mean, we are so Just full go. of ourselves already. We don't have to okay. say this. Yeah, this you can delete. <laughs> okay, okay, great. Um, I don't have much to say about my PhD thesis because I just got started. Mm -hmm. um, but I can say like uh, my PhD uh, project was about estrogen, the effect of estrogen on language processing and language acquisition. That's it. Uh, <laughs> sorry, no more details. Um, <laughs> so today I will briefly talk about my what I did for my math thesis. Um, mm -hmm. So it's about the newborn's cry. So I compared 
Chinese newborns cry with German ne- German newborns cry. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so newborns cry is like so the cry that w- when they're just born or just like. Yeah, so by newborn, I mean two to five days old. Okay. Yeah, so they're pretty young. um, And the cry or spontaneous cry, so no more, no pain cry. Mm -hmm. Um, Usually I just record before they, before the feeding or Mm -hmm. when they change diaper. As you may all know, Chinese has um, lexical tone. Um, Mm -hmm. So you give us an example. Yeah, like for example, rising, falling, or rising, falling. Um, e is like flat. Mm-hmm. E is rising. E is falling and rising. Okay. E is falling. Awesome. So acoustically, it's we have larger um, F zero, so pitch variation mm-hmm. in our language. So and pitch is the tone of voice. Yeah, sorry, I'm just. Uh, yeah, not yeah, I wanted to yeah, ask you, right. what's F zero? F zero is a fundamental frequency. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's equal to pitch, I think. Yeah. Right? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. So Chinese has larger variation uh, of F zero mm-hmm. fundamental frequency, and we find exactly same in newborns cry. Mm-hmm. So in newborns cry, Chinese newborns cry have larger variation than um, German babies cry. Oh my yeah. God! So you saying you're saying that. Okay, this is an honest question. I really don't know. <laughs> so you're saying that uh, if a, a kid is like five year, five days young, it already yeah. understands the tonal like properties of Chinese language. I mean, it's so young for for language acquisition, isn't it? Um, I don't know whether it's like understand or like lang- speech comprehension that level. Like mm-hmm. it's really high level. But like um, so, according to the previous literature, um, babies start to hear the sound from the environment before they born, so in the womb. Um, after 27, 28 weeks, they can hear the sound from the environment. Um, so I think that's the time they start to pick the pitch or fundamental frequency mm-hmm. information from the environment, like from, especially from their mom, because mm-hmm. your mom's, like mom's ways can go through like inside her body to the baby. Like mm-hmm. baby can hear mom through mm-hmm. the body. So yeah, so yeah. which means they start to have the the influence from the environmental language very early mm-hmm. before they born. So they have an amazing. accent basically. They have an accent already as they are born. Accent, yeah, yeah, sort of. yeah. Because from perceptual side, previous research have shown that baby has has like preference towards mm-hmm. to their native language or their mom's. Boys, so we basically say can say like yeah they start to have a preference very early this is so cool so you think that the mother's voice is the most determinant factor because i was thinking like some some parents they're like bilingual so they talk to their kid in like two different languages even when the kid's not born yet but do you think like the mother's language is more like relevant to the child in this moment it's a, <laughs> it's a very good question that we can like um, explore in the future, I think, because here we, we're in Montreal, we have a huge bilingual population. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, I think. But I already have a question for my PhD thesis. So <laughs> what I <I'm> do? <laughs> and uh, so, but do you think most of this is due to the mom talking, or like could there be like some genetic? Influence. Very good question, Mariel. Oh, thank you. So <laughs> impressed. Um, so 
Yeah, like um, actually in our paper,、mm-hmm. um, we do mention that in very end, like we briefly talk a little bit about the gene because someone do did claim that maybe a tonal gene out there,、mm-hmm. but because it's not like we cannot prove that, so we just mention it like in the very end. And so I was wondering mostly more about the how you did the testing and stuff. So you. You are Chinese, so you tested Chinese in China and in Germans、mm-hmm. in Germany. Yeah. How did it, how did you go about, you know, the technical details of the experiment? Okay. So I have a collaborator in Germany.、Mm-hmm. She is、um, sort of taking the responsibility of like recording German baby part,、mm-hmm. and I think it's a、um, so she has a longitudinal study. So the newborn cry is just part of、uh, her project, and I learned the technique like a recording protocol. Everything from her, so she,、uh, like I show her how I did this. So sort of she will make sure what we did in the, these two countries are identical, at least like very similar.、Um, so I I was in charge of like recording Chinese newborns cry. So I did my recording in Beijing.、Um, I ask parents to sign the consent before they actually give birth to baby. Um, so before the labor,、um, and then after baby born, like、uh, the second day, I will stay like、uh, record the baby's cry with their parents. That would be so strange. Imagine your your baby is <laughs> just born, and somebody comes and like, hey, can、Does、I do an experiment on your baby? <laughs> did you, did people like some did some people refuse to? Yeah, yeah, of yeah. course, yeah. How、I、many just... babies did you record? I I recorded thirty、uh, babies, more than thirty, but we like dropped some for reasons.、Yeah. All right, well maybe it's now time to unless you have any more questions. Yeah, no,、mm. I just want to say this is so cool. Thank、really、you. Really, so so interesting and so relevant. I think to this language acquisition problem. Thank you. Okay, <laughs> what, about right, you? Yeah. what about you? Oh yeah.、Melissa? Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> So I also did something very different from my master's research and from my PhD, and I'm also in the first year of PhD, so I'm not really. I mean, I'm still starting, so I don't have a lot of results to share today.、Mm-hmm. But I have、It's、like this、right. this idea of like the project and what I intend to do in those four years.、Mm-hmm. So now I'm studying neutron stars. So basically,、uh, what what's a neutron star? So there's a star like our sun, for example, and it's burning fuel, like hydrogen, helium, or something like this. So it's、mm-hmm. fusioning elements. To generate heat and everything else, and light, mostly heat and light, and then you know there's a limited amount of helium and hydrogen in the star, like around the star. So there's a limited amount of fuel it has, so that like when this fuel starts to, like finishing, it has to kind of grow to kind of get more and more fuel around it,、mm-hmm. and then starts burning other elements as well. So when it runs out of helium and start, it goes to lithium and boron and whatever, whatever, until again there gets like to iron, which I think is. I might be wrong, but I think it's like the most like heaviest element that the star can burn.、Uh, and then, if the star is big enough, it it explodes. It can explode in a supernova, and it can generate like a black hole. But if it's not super big, it can also kind of shrink and generate this neutron star. So the idea is that the pressure, the external pressure, is so much bigger than the internal pressure of the star that it kind of like forces it to collapse into itself until the moment that. The 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 neutrons and the protons and the electrons inside the core of the star have like this minimal pressure to keep it there as something like as a star, small star, but still it's there and it's alive. 
And if it's spinning, it can have a magnetic field as well. So it can be as complex as you want. I love this topic because it kind of mixtures every single thing you learned in undergrad. So you have like a lot of courses in undergrad, like classical mechanics and quantum mechanics. But when you're studying something like this, you have to... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yes. You think she is pretending to kill herself? <laughs> we don't make these kind of jokes here. That's not how you do. No, just the terms. Uh, I, I, know, know. I know, I like in medical terms. I also don't like I those know. sayings. Yeah. I mean, I, I just find as soon as you say quantum mechanics, people or get nervous. Had, well, yeah, and like the person who says this word just gains like two or three levels of intelligence. Oh Jesus! For, no. for the, yeah, right. Like, just, wow. <laughs> Oh my God. Sorry, keep, keep going. I'm sorry. sorry. Yeah, so the thing is, like, when you're doing an undergrad, you take like a lot of courses and you learn this kind of fragmented thing. And this is not the real world. In the real mm -hmm. world, problems kind of have to kind of have to mixture all the single thing you've learned in, yep. in university and, and kind of like try to tackle this problem with any single tool that you have. And this is Just really like psychology. No. Yeah. Mm. yeah, yeah. This sorry is really what I like. Sorry no, no. Interrupt. Yeah, please. Oh my God. Ask questions <laughs> anytime. Yeah. So yeah, we have these neutron stars. And the, the issue is that we don't really know how the protons and the neutrons inside the star are kind of organized. Let's put it this way. Mm. Uh, so we can study this configuration with this thing called the equation of state, which basically relates like the pressure, the internal pressure. Let's say it's something that describes the internal pressure of the star. So it can be very complicated to get like equations of state. So there are many, many papers with many models uh, saying, let's say the star is composed of this amount of neutrons, this amount of protons, and let's see how it goes. And some other models that goes like, okay, you know what? Protons and neutrons are composed of quarks. So let's say those those stars are actually kind of free quarks, or maybe some not not exactly free quarks, but some or maybe say some part of the core of the star is free quarks and some other. So it can get as complicated as you want. And there are many many models to describe it. But, but the thing no is, really con there's no real like consensus on what actually is a neutron star made of. Yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's hard. Not exactly what it's made of, but how do they interact in there? Okay. Uh, so there is no consensus, mostly because we don't have data on those things. Mm -hmm. so they are oh, very, right. very far away from us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let me examine this neutron star. In yeah, <laughs> you cannot produce a neutron star in a laboratory. I mean, yeah. you just cannot do it. And mm -hmm. the the neutron stars we kind of know are there. They are so far away. It's really hard to measure, to make like precise measurements. But right now we're trying, right? We're always trying because it's a science. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, there are some like some new experiments, some new observations that are being made. Um, and also there are gravitational waves now. So, you know, gravitational waves happen when like two neutron stars, they're kind of like in a system and they're kind of like circling around each other and eventually they merge. So they kind of collide and become just one neutron star. When this happens, it's such a brutal event that it creates like gravitational waves, which are like waves that propagate around all space-time. And no matter how far in time and space it was, we can detect them now. Yay! Mm -hmm. Thanks, LIGO! <laughs> <laughs> That's cool, but... Uh... Um, maybe I'm wrong, but mm -hmm. don't like don't things like black holes create gravitational waves as well? Yeah, so as how well. Do you, how do you know if, if when you receive gravitational wave, know it, that it's actually from a neutron star? Yeah, yeah. So this is a very good question. You know, those systems of like two neutron stars that I was saying, they kind of like, they exist. And they also exist systems of two black holes and mm -hmm. a black hole and a neutron star exactly because of this, because they're a result of this, like the system of stars that kind of evolved in time. Mm -hmm. So let's say they have like two stars like our sun and they are... I don't know, that big, they have like a size and a mass, whatever. And depends on how it goes and the composition of the atmosphere around them, 
they can like one of them can become a black hole, the other one can become a neutron star, or both of them can become a black hole or whatever. There's many possibilities. So yeah, black holes can generate gravitational waves when they merge for sure. Uh, and the thing is, uh, because we know exactly, we know very well how gravitational waves work, we can kind of like make models of what it would be like for true black holes mm -hmm. to merge, what it would be like for true neutron stars, and we can kind of make, make models for all those possibilities. Mm -hmm. This is very, very hard, <laughs> but we've been doing this LIGO and Virgo experiment for like over 20 years. So, so what people is LIGO? Are, Just yeah, LIGO is the observatory that measures gravitational waves, one mm -hmm. of them. So okay. there are like two or three now. So these are the name of the collaborations, LIGO and Virgo. Okay. Those are the observatories, which are on Earth, of course, and it kind of like measures signals that come from space. Kind of. uh, data from Virgo and LIGO is just like one kind of data that I can have. I can also get other data from other uh, observations. Um, sometimes it's easier to work with other observations depending on what I want to do. Mm -hmm. So my specific job in this PhD is to kind of like reverse engineering. So so far, we've been like working with these equations of state that we can kind of like come from first principles, just take a piece of paper and write the equation of state and say, okay, let's see now that we have this model, what data would, it would give us. And a lot of people have done this. And now I want to reverse engineer and say, okay, we have the data and some like new data, as I mentioned. Mm -hmm. And from this data, let's see what this tells us about the equations of state and see if we can rule out some equations of state from the data that we already have. So this is new in the sense that we have more data now, uh, but it's also new in the sense that we have a lot of models so we can rule them out. So if we didn't have any model, it would be really hard to do this. And this can be as complicated as we want as well, which is good for a PhD project, I think, because you can like start low, low expectations and see how it goes. So my, my, my goal for this year is to kind of like have one specific data of one specific binary system, which is a system of two neutron stars, and I want to take the data that I have, take the simple model that is not based on this more complicated model, just like a software to solve like the, the equation of state. And I take mm -hmm. this simple model and I change some parameters in this very simple model, see how we can adequate those things to the data. And then mm -hmm. eventually see what these parameters change in the other equations, in the real equations of states. So it's kind of like comparing everything, making this bridge. Awesome. Yeah, it yeah. is so cool, so cool. It's like a lot of opportunity to learn a lot of different stuff, and this is what mm -hmm. I like the most about it. Can, uh, nice. can knowing about Neutron Star help us uh, colonize uh, space in the future? <laughs> we never know, right? Why not? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm open. I know it's a dumb question, but you know, as soon as you talk about space anyway, oh, yeah, yeah. people that are listening, they will think about space yeah, travel. In and... our generation, Mal. <laughs> look, I say what I want, this is my I podcast. mean, <laughs> global warming, right? Let's look for another planet. But I, I think at this point, the most important thing we can take from this research once it's done, it's more like um, the understanding of the phases of matter, let's say, the understanding mm -hmm. of the neutrons and, and, and protons and actually quarks. So, for example, LHC, right? We're kind of like colliding heavy ions. Yep. And and why, why do we do that? I mean, we won't get any information that will help us do anything like cook better or uh -huh. live better i mean no but we're doing this because we want to understand uh the properties of matter in a very very like high temperature limit so an extreme mm -hmm. limit and it's something like uh in the sense it's more like uh, general relativity so like how does general relativity help us so when einstein was working on this he didn't care yeah. he, he had no idea how it would help us and he didn't care he was just like we want to understand the world and this is how mm. the world works. Let's see. And now we have mm. GPS, for example. 
which we could not have without general relativity. So we never know how those things are yeah, going to go. Yeah, that is true. Exactly. Ah, yeah. Fascinating. <laughs> it's really uh, overwhelming, I find, just to think about. I don't know, it must be just you talking about it already, it just gives me like sort of vertigo. It must be like this every day for you, just thinking that the data you're analyzing is just coming from millions of light years away. Oh yeah, this is amazing. Like every time you look at, not you cannot even, you don't even need to go that far. So you can just like look at the sky today and yeah. the light that you're seeing now comes from like thousand years ago. You're looking at the past because those stars are so far away from us, like a hundred light years away from us. So this light is coming. So for example, if a star dies today, it like goes to supernova or whatever, it would take us maybe thousand years hundred thousand years to see that this happened because this is the time that light would take to get to us and this is mind-blowing yeah, in my opinion awesome. yeah. crazy. okay i think uh it is time to move on to uh the long-awaited special topic as you may have noticed we are three foreign students in canada one from south america one from china so from asia one from europe so we have uh, three continents represented I apologize to all the my Australians and African listeners. We'll do another a part two of this uh, of this episode uh, with with some of you if you are ever interested. Um, so, what 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 is it like being a foreign student in a foreign country? Let's say, what's the first hard thing that you've encountered? Yeah, well, coming from South America, I have to say the weather. <laughs> Fair enough. That's a big thing. It was the first time I saw snow, because when I oh. went to Germany, it was not snowing anymore. So, mm. yep, that was intense. <laughs> But no, September was not snowing. So, like, it gave me some time to kind of, like, acclimate to it. I mean, the feeling that winter's coming and, mm -hmm. yep. So, the weather. And I also, I think also, like, social relations, I'd say. I think in here, social relations are very pragmatic in the sense that, like, you have to work with some person. Then you just go there and you work and you have like casual conversation, but you don't do that as much as you do in Brazil, for example. So that you're saying you... Brazil is much more like uh, you get more friendly relationships with coworkers. We have that? more casual conversations. I'll okay. say that uh, we have the saying that first you have to be a friend and then you work. Okay. And in here oh. it's more like first you work and then you're a friend. Mm -hmm. So, like, for example, in Brazil, we want to get a coffee. We cannot just go to the coffee shop and say, hi, I want a coffee. It's, it's unpolite. You okay. have to go to the coffee shop and you say, hi, how's your day? Is everything good with you? Oh, nice. Yeah, I'm also having this and that in my life right now. Also, can I get a coffee? Oh, cool. Bye. Wow. That's interesting. <laughs> well, it's interesting because I find so coming from France, which is uh, full of, uh, you know, French people. We all know who, how they are. <laughs> Just a bunch We of mean don't. people. Ah, <laughs> just kidding. But um, it's, it's it's really the extreme. Like you go somewhere, you go to coffee shop, you ask for coffee, you don't ask for nothing else. And I actually found coming to Canada that people were much more friendly, and there there was already this step of asking, yeah, how are you doing before doing something. So it's interesting that actually you come from <laughs> to the same place and you find the opposite. Yeah, that's the other extreme. <laughs> yeah, Canada is like a, a a middle ground between being too friendly, being not friendly enough. Yep. <laughs> oh, how is it in China? China like that? I think I just go to the coffee shop for a coffee. It's fine. Like, people, if you ask people, how was your day? They were like, what? <laughs> like, why you suddenly care about my day? Like, 
<laughs> yeah. But also that doesn't fit much with the, you know, what we in psychology define as the uh, Friendly. individualist like versus... Friendly, about the, the whole community. Yeah, community. Uh, uh, I think in different ways, when when you uh, when you sort of have like a uh, conflict about the profit, mm-hmm. then we think about the whole community more than like individual. Okay. Mm. For example, in the classroom, I will more think about the entire classroom atmosphere. For example, like if everybody is very quiet, I tend to be quiet instead of like standing out and ask questions, answer questions. But if the whole class is very you know, active, of course, I would tend to be active. Hmm. But versus I think here students may care about more about their self. Like my personality is like that. Like I'm active. I will be active no matter what the environment is. Hmm. So they were like raise a hand, answer questions, no matter whether the classroom is quiet or, or very active. They just were doing it. You have both done research at home, right? Mm-hmm. Or you, yeah. yeah. Uh, so how does that? Uh, are there like methods that that differ here at Miguel from what you were used to? Whether it's in the the way you collaborate with people or in the techniques that that people use. Yeah. So what I think was more dif- my, the, the biggest difference for me was not exactly the methods of research, but more like how the group meetings work. Okay. For example, uh, so in Brazil, we had this small group, uh, but we didn't have group meetings, just because we. I mean, we were a small group, and we just thought, I oh, might as well just have a one-to-one conversation with the supervisor. It's good enough, and we're all kind of like a little bit. Like we knew each other, like all the students kind of knew each other. So we thought, okay, if we want to talk about your research or my research, we can just go for a coffee and it's fine. Then I went to Germany and there the, the research group was bigger and I always have some invited people to join for a while, like me. So they had like a more systematic approach to group meetings and they have this very pragmatic German way of dealing with group meetings that mm-hmm. like every week you have this big group meeting, everybody goes there and talk. But also you have one-to-one meetings every week and also mm-hmm. you have smaller groups inside the research group because the research group was like big, like 10 people more or less. And at, at, at any moment in time, some like two or three people would be working in similar stuff. And this is a smaller, like say group within the research group and they also have together every week. Not necessarily with the supervisor, but at least among themselves to kind of like see if they have common issues or anything like this. And now here, I have an even bigger research group. I think right now we're almost 15 people, kind of. 15 or yeah, 15? 15. 15. Okay, yeah. well, that's, that's already pretty uh, big. Depending, yeah, oh no. <laughs> 50 people, Jesus, no. <laughs> uh, yeah, and we're also still working on this because, and I thought like, we would do something similar to Germany, but not really because otherwise we have like a lot of meetings a week and it would be mm-hmm. just impossible. So right now we have this big meeting, everybody is there, but we also try to make sure that people kind of like share a background of their research because some PhDs are very, very like focused in one very specific topic. So if somebody is working with something and this person just arrived, have no idea what this person is doing. So they have to kind of like have a, a, an overview of what they're doing within the bigger research of the group. And we also are very encouraged to do our own meetings if we want with other students, with other professors, and just kind of like keep like keep this feeling that this research is ours. So we can do with it what we want, take it in the direction we want. And I think this is this is great, this is, but yeah. this is different. Yeah, so what would be your preferred method then of all, the, of all three? Yeah, I think like... Um, <laughs> 
<laughs> At this point, I'd say like a mixture of those three three methods. They all have uh, advantage. So I'd say like it depends on the stage of research you are. Probably as mm -hmm. a as a first year, I like I like the method of Germany because it's very didactic in the mm -hmm. sense that it's like step by step. Let's go. Yeah. Let's do this. Mm -hmm. uh, but like as you go further, like in the middle of the PhD, I'll probably go with the method of Brazil because you have like a lot of things to do. You already know where you're at. You just need like some very focused uh, instructions every now and then. And by the end, maybe here because then you're a senior student and you have this responsibility of making sure that other people are understanding. So yeah, <laughs> hard question though. <laughs> well, and uh, one one thing that probably one of the the biggest problem for international students is the language barrier right mm -hmm. is it difficult not being a, like first language english to make yourself understood in the lab or like you know problems writing uh, especially i find papers can be really difficult in not your it's already difficult in your own language so in another yeah. language that, <laughs> that's pretty hard to yeah i remember <laughs> when i first arrived here um, so I have been learning English for like more than 20 years, mm. uh, but I still feel like challenging when I first arrived here because mm -hmm. like learning English in the classroom is totally, even you get very high TOEFL like out score, like yep. it, actually speaking English in daily life phase is um, still very hard. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm, I'm very, very grateful for like um, to having like a very good native office mate. Uh -huh. Yeah. So, for example, Sarah. Yondu, which you, Yondu? Have, uh, yeah. which you have heard in the previous episode. If you haven't heard this episode, <laughs> stop what you're doing right now and go listen to it. Also, Yondu is doing uh, her PhD thesis is about like yep. uh, accepting other people's foreign accent and try to understand them yeah, like, without that, that any biases. Yeah, that was something I was thinking yeah. of. Go, go, Yondu. <laughs> uh, so, um, yeah, I'm like, very appreciate that my uh, office mate, they, they, just like try their best to understand me and they give me enough exposure. I'm doing a lot of passive exposure and learning. <laughs> so I personally do feel like my English getting much better uh, compared to like my first day here or first month here in Canada. And I'm also starting to learn French. I think French is, uh, is another reason that I pick McGill or Montreal because uh, it just gave you another chance to learn a new language. Um, yeah, Mal. By the way, Mal laughed at me my ac French accent. Laughed <laughs> what? You laughed at my. I didn't friend. laugh. What? This is such a lie. <laughs> me laughing. Okay, at you people? can delete it. <laughs> I don't know. I I am so appalled. I'll, de I'll delete that. You cannot say anything bad about me. What the hell? Okay. Me mocking people. I don't know. What you're uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no. I I, I think okay. it's true. If you have, if you're uh, a foreign student, talk to your uh, native friends. And if you're a native, talk to your international friends and teach them the way. Yeah, and um, like a, a, your facial expression is very important because mm -hmm. I can see. So like, just tend to be. Like, yeah, I'm understanding. Like, um, mm -hmm. yeah, like, I understand you. Everything's fine. So, like, making, like, weird faces is not, doesn't boost your confidence like it, at all. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, sorry. Oh, like, uh, so because you also asked about the writing. Um, mm. I have some Chinese uh, friends from China. They're struggling with their writing. I also be very grateful. Like, I'm inside this very helpful department. People just, like, help each other. 
So I have a lot of um, native speaker. They they just offer to proofread my um, thesis or my proposal or like any exam papers for me. This is really really helpful. It's yeah. No, it's good. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's it's yeah. There's a lot of resources in McGill. That's uh... we have in the, in the guild this Grafus courses. I don't know if you know about it. They're yeah. super super useful. Mm-hmm. And last semester when I came here, I was doing this. Um, I could I don't remember the the name of the course or something like oh yeah pronunciation for better communication okay yeah so this is a specific so they have like specific courses for international students to kind of like improve their pronunciation or improving their writing skills so they have like I think two courses to improve like writing skills and then they also have like another courses for like grad students in general so like the idea is that if you're an international student you start with those courses that are like targeted for you so that like you have this very basic not very basic, but this basis, a very strong basis of how to write, academically speaking, mm-hmm. and how to communicate better if you feel that you're like insecure about it. And then you can move on to the, I mean, it's not a prerequisite, you can just do whatever you want and just go to this. It's like Right now I'm doing this, okay, it just finished last week, but it's like a literature review one. So like how to make oh, sure you write that. a very mm-hmm. good literature review. So good, right? Yeah. I loved it. So yeah, very useful and you don't have to pay for it because it's like included. In- oh, you need to pass it. You need to pass it, yeah, but you don't need to pay. So if you pass it, you don't pay. If you you don't pass it, $500. Oh, really? Yeah. But it's like, I don't think anybody ever failed. I mean, unless you're really like very crazy and not even going, not even doing anything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If you're trying. Well, yeah, it's it's cool to be uh, in, in, in a university where there's actually so many international students where you can really just meet people from so many so many cultures and there's there's really a lot of diversity diversity and I think really cool ideas and perspectives that that stem from that just yeah people like even you know coming from as you were doing like coming for four months from a different university that always brings something new to the table I think it's great that we're now living in a world where you can literally go to another continent to learn a different way of approaching things and uh yeah, I would say like I noticed this like Chinese students are tend to be just you know stay with their friends with from like Chinese friends. Um, but I would recommend or suggest if you allow me, take this opportunity to learn about other cultures, other languages, other like people from other country with um, their values, their traditions. Because um, I think like. The two years or four years you're staying in Montreal, if you actually enjoy it and take the advantage of it, um, when you graduate, you actually will feel like I learned so much. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and I think it's it's a, this this thing of staying amongst your own community. It's yeah, it's very true of all the groups that where there's a lot of uh, of people immigrating to Montreal. So yeah, the Chinese and the French actually also have a lot of French. Just they only have French friends, and uh, you're just missing out if you're not, if you're just going abroad, not and still being, not 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 yeah. to live the life yeah. that is happening abroad, not immersing yourself in the culture. Cool, you have your pride and you keep your culture and whatever you want, but in the end, uh, that that hasn't. You could have stayed at home. Yeah, you just remind me one of my questions on my little note <laughs> is. When you like emerging or like uh, embrace the new culture, what about your old cu- 
oh, like your old culture, like home mm-hmm. culture mm-hmm. and home, yeah. like uh, values, uh, cultures from your home country. Like uh, as what you're saying, like I think it's not like leave them behind. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I do have like a time period in the very beginning uh, when I just start to like, you know, make friends with people from other countries, and they are challenging my values or my mm. traditions. And I was like, first I try to adapt to their culture or their values because you know this is Canada, but then I start to questioning myself. So and then later on I was like, yeah, I respect your value, your country, uh, your culture, your um tradition. But what about mine? Mm-hmm. Like, what about my culture, my tradition, my values? Mm-hmm. So now I try to be more like, okay. I have button lines. <laughs> I have my values, my traditions. Something I can't, I don't want to talk about. Yeah. I would just tell you, sorry, I I don't want to talk about this. Yeah, that's that's yeah. fair. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's funny because I, I had actually kind of the opposite path for me. It was I was relatively defensive when mm-hmm. I arrived. I was also very young, not to excuse myself, but I really <laughs> arrived to Canada very young, and uh, I had this yeah this sort of thing of like you know. I'm in Canada, but I'm I'm gonna stay true to being French, mm. uh, and only you know just it took me a while to actually realize. Well, I mean, I can just keep you know my my cultural values and still you know share. It doesn't mean aban- abandoning what you believe in or or whatever, and it's mo- much more enriching enriching than the opposite of enriching. <laughs> still pro- English problems. Yeah, yeah, so I have this uh, this issue with language. So when I first started here and I did this course on like, pronunciation, and I remember the teacher said, "But your English is already very good. Mm-hmm. You don't even need to, to to take this course." I mean, after of course, I mean, she wouldn't like stop me from taking it, but she was like, "You don't really need to take this course because your English is perfectly understandable." But I was very insecure, and I was thinking exactly this: like I'm in Canada now. I like to speak good English is not enough. I have to speak perfect English. I have mm-hmm. to speak native English. Yeah, just like native speaker. Yeah, right. And then, uh, and then I went like I, I'll stay like the whole semester thinking like this. And then in the end, when I finished the course, I was like, you know what? No, I mean I am Brazilian. I'm not ashamed of this. Mm-hmm. I like this. Yes, I have an accent, and yes, this is not my first language. So what? I mean, a lot of people don't speak English as a first language, and yeah. nothing bad happens. I mean, they're still acceptable, ac- accepted where they are. I mean, and then uh, somebody also said this. Uh, we were talking about um, so diversity in physics and this kind of thing, and this person said, "Oh, it's it's easy for me to think that I'm I don't belong there," and this other person said, "If you were invited to the room, you belong there." This mm-hmm. is it. You don't even have to think about it. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I'm Canada. I was invited from McGill. So I belong. Yeah. My English mm-hmm. is good enough. I'm going <laughs> to And it's important. Yes, you, yeah. It's also, it gives a little bit of flavor and of mystery to keep your, uh, your original right? accent. Mm-hmm. You yeah, know, where's people wonder from? like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Are you ready mm-hmm. for a little game? Still and related to the international experience. Uh, I have I, one little Oh, okay, give you a little, <laughs> give you a little, little question first. What is your little one? I still have one item left on my yeah. notes. Um, it's I think a lot of people were easily to say, oh, I, I, I realize people are differentiating me from the majority population or something. 
uh, but I think you should let people to know you. Like when people ask some awkward questions, at、mm-hmm. least like they're they're pretty simple. They're like they're the reason they're asking this question. Yeah, their their intention like, is good. Like,、mm. <laughs> their intention is good, or、um, they trying to learn more about your con- culture,、mm-hmm. or your value, your country, anything, or just about yourself. Then you should let people to know more about you, like、mm-hmm. open to those questions and give honest answer, or just tell them, "Sorry, I don't feel comfortable to answer these questions."、Yep. Mm-hmm. And so you open the door and make m- more friends, and also, you know. Y- You let people to know your background,、mm-hmm. so in、yeah. the long term, it actually will be more beneficial. And also, I want to just say something I, not related to this, but related to something else we said.、Uh, so I like when I travel to other countries, I always think that like this is my golden rule of exchange: is say yes. So like be open to opportunities, be open to things that you never thought you would do.、Uh, so like it can be something very silly, like、uh, I don't know, I never played this sport before. Yeah, let's give it a try. Yeah,、so、just okay. I've never played this, but let's try. Yeah, and then just go for it. I mean, as an exchange student, you have a lot of opportunities. You have a lot of people very curious about you, and they want to invite you to do like a bunch of stuff. You say yes, and you go, and then you can choose what you like and what you don't like. You don't have to say yes all the time, but like be open. So this bridges us nicely into the game because I want to play.、Uh, I don't know if it actually has a name. I decided to name it myself.、Uh, only keep one. So I'm gonna say. Types of places, and you have to give me like the one thing, the one exemplar of this thing that you, that is in Montreal that you want to keep. If there would be only one, so、mm. to start, for example, I would say if you would if you would to keep only one restaurant, which one would you keep?、Mm-hmm. Just to give a little bit, you know, of advice to our all international <laughs> and maybe even local friends of what are the good good places here.、Um, the Landro Noodle in Chinatown. How do you spell that? L A N Z H O U, I believe. Okay. It's a、uh, above the G N D supermarket. Okay, it's just. Sorry, two Chinese. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I was actually gonna. There's another question after that, maybe related, would be the same thing. So it's a, so it's great noodle place. Yeah, it's a yeah Askian do. Askian. Oh, but we need to ask you. You're the specialist of、uh, Chinese food here. Yes, I love it. <laughs> All right. What about、oh. you? Oh my God! This is very hard, very hard indeed.、Um, I'm between this、uh, this noodle place. It's like Japanese noodles. Noodles, noodles yeah. are and,、uh, a big deal. But yeah, but maybe not because we already have noodles. So <laughs> <laughs> so then I'll go to this to the okay. This is a very close one to Miguel. It's like the Lola Lola Rosa. I love、uh-huh. it so、oh. much. It's like in Milton Street. It's like vegetarian food, and it's like a lot of food. You know, you order a dish, and like a bunch of food comes there. I could eat there. Like for the rest of my life, for sure, because they change the menu every week. So,、mm-hmm. there's a f- there's a few to Montreal. There's one on Park. Actually,、yeah. if you go, I would advise to go on the one that's on Park. Oh yeah. And Montreal, I think.、Mm-hmm. Uh, it's much white, much wider,、oh, and、yeah. a, a, a bit nicer. Uh, so if you had to keep one bar. Bar. Yeah. I don't drink. Yeah, you don't go for two bars or. Oh, okay.、Drink. So I am creating creating a new stereotype for Chinese people. Yeah. yeah. It, when we hang out, we drink milk tea.、Ah, so、okay. we drink bubble tea. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. No, this reminds me of something. Because every time, <laughs> every time 
I say something weird or I do something weird, I just say, oh, this is how we do in Brazil. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. no yeah, you can get away with this. Yeah, yeah for sure. <laughs> this is the spirit. <laughs> I like it. All right, so let's change it. Best cafe, not best cafe. If you had to keep only one cafe in Montreal. Humble Line. Humble Line? Where is that? It's besides our building. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Didn't know. Because that, that was the first cafe I went to. I think the second day I'm here. Aww. Yeah, like mm. in a, it just fresh me up. Aww. So nice. Yeah. Cool. You? I'll have to go with the, I think, the happy cat. Is this how they say it? The, the, cat, the cat cafe? Oh, it's a cat cafe, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah I love the idea. Nice. Having cats that awesome. you can pet. I mean, yeah. ideally it would be dogs, but I, I go with cats. Uh, the, if you had to keep one place that makes you most feel like home. My home. That's a great <laughs> one. <laughs> Sorry, oh I changed my answer as CSD. The the department makes you... Oh, this oh. is so precious. Thank you. Oh, SSD audience, you're welcome. I'm sure they'll listen. I mean, they will have to because uh, I usually go... Uh, I point a gun at their head and force them to listen. What about you? Oh my God, I have to no. think about this one. I mean, I like to say Mont Royal, but this is not really... It doesn't really make me feel like home in the sense that I don't have a Mont Royal home or something similar, uh-huh. but I like it like to just go there and chill. And the fact that even when it's winter, like heavy winter, people are still going there and running and walking the dogs. And I think this is so great. Mm-hmm. It makes me feel like I'm part of the community, kind of. You're not answering. No. <laughs> you have to answer as well. <laughs> the questions, come on. Uh, well, probably... Probably, probably Mal, if you're not going to say SC, you will lose a lot of audience. Uh, okay. <laughs> SSD is is where I feel, feel most at home. Uh. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for your honesty. <laughs> uh, uh, if you had to keep only one place to study. Oh, I, I'll go with like a library in McGill. Like the Red Path? Red Path. Yeah. yeah. I like it's like huge. I like that everybody meets there. I like they have like... Uh, Every single thing you can think of. They have like cafe. I think, you, have... I think also you like it because you've not been an undergrad student. Probably. For undergrad student, this place is synonym of nightmare. And, probably. and probably. sleepless night. Uh, but yeah, like my first... When I was doing undergrad, I spent like a lot of time in the library. It was mm-hmm. like the library of the physical department. Physics department. And it was like home. It was like yeah. I, I left, I finished the course, I went to the library. And then I, I had lunch and I went to the library and uh, like I... I, I stayed there like from the moment it opened to the moment it closed every single day I could and like a lot of good things happened at the library. I, I eventually like got myself a boyfriend because I was in the library and he was also in the library so, was... nice. <laughs> so library library libraries love. are life. Awesome. <laughs> ah, library romance, love it. I think we're reaching the end. Uh, we actually have a lot of content, so I'll have to edit out a lot of things. Apologies in advance. Melissa, I wanted to say something. I think I'll have one last one thing that I'm going to install now. It's going to be uh, end of podcast shout out time. So if there's one thing that you want to, you know, an event that you want to share, a paper that you want to that you want to share with people, something that you're doing that's cool, and that's now is the moment to the extremely numerous audience that we have. Ah. Melissa, <laughs> what do you want to hashtag self promotion? Exactly. That's, that's so right. yeah, so. From 25 of June to the 28th of June, we hosting here in McGill the Women in Physics Canada Conference. It's a very, very cool conference for undergrads, grad students. We'll be talking about physics, but at like an undergrad level. So 
um, yeah, feel free to join. Even if you're not expert, it's fine. We'll also be talking a lot about diversity, inclusion in physics, and mental health issues. It's going to be a lot of fun. And the registration is just open today. I can send you the link if you want. Yeah, put I'll somewhere. put it on the description for All sure. All right, yeah. sounds good. Perfect, thank you. Yeah, Yifeng, we... Do you have anything you want to you wanna shout out? I would like to take this opportunity to advertise for you. <laughs> if anyone is interested um, joining this podcast, contact oh, yeah. Mal, support so nice. Mal. It is a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank we had a lot of fun. Cool. Well, so you, you did my outro for me. So uh, don't have anything more to say. And uh, yeah, thank you so much, guys, for coming here. Uh, thank you, Mal. It's a great experience. And uh, thank you for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.